Hello and welcome to Alternative Eye, the series that features students and staff from NUI Galway reflecting on why difference is not always what we think it is. I've always felt different. I think ever since I've had any level of self-awareness, as kids do as they get a little bit older. Yeah, I always felt different from other kids and I could never really pinpoint why. And of course, as I got older, that difference was magnified. This episode, Double Empathy. I'm Sinead Keneally. I am a daughter, a sister, an auntie, a friend, in that order, I think. And I am an academic psychologist. I work in NUI Galway as a lecturer and academic coordinator, and I've worked there for about 15 years. There were periods in in primary school where I would regularly um, be physically sick before going into school, really ill, and in retrospect, that was high anxiety. Um, My parents couldn't figure out why they sent me to a paediatrician, couldn't find a physical reason at all. And it was just this high, high, high anxiety, shyness, just inability to make sense of the social world. And I suppose in primary school, it kind of came to the fore, but nobody really spotted why. I found it very difficult um, to kind of maintain friendships, interact in the playground. Um, I used to love hanging around with boys because I thought boys were And this is not an insult to the male gender, but I thought boys were much less complicated emotionally and uh, girls sort of, I found them harder to grasp. Uh, And in the playground, we were separated at break time and the boys would go off and roughhouse and play football and the girls were supposed to be nice and gentle and chat among themselves. And I just couldn't deal with that. So, uh, you know, I always tell the little story the wonderful school principal used to bring me in and allow me to look at his stamp collection at break time so I didn't have to deal with the complexities of interaction in the playground. And then I went to a an all-girls secondary school and that, <laughs> that, that was not good for me. That was not good for me at all. I just, I, I think I dissociated quite a bit and I checked out. And uh, pretty typical, I now know for women with autism, I really didn't achieve to the level I could have been achieving. So autism is defined as a neurodevelopmental uh, disorder. I hate the term disorder, but that's that's the term that's used. So you would typically see, you know, issues, I suppose, with social communication, like ability to kind of um, interpret social communication and you have other key features again like um, executive function problems, problems uh, around you know memory and planning and organization and it's a constellation of different things. There are different um, categories uh, within the, the diagnostic criteria. I do think my teachers were aware. I certainly think in primary school, I really loved primary school, in spite of the difficulties and the anxiety. Uh, Secondary school was totally different. I feel that the teachers did know my difference and my shyness and my, and and in a negative sense, I feel I got a very negative um, reaction from them. And I was sort of maybe targeted, maybe a little bit picked on because I was not achieving. I suppose they, they were probably frustrated with me, wondering, Sinead, why aren't you engaging in the way that you should be engaging? And then I was, I came to college 
I was very, very lucky to get the points to go into arts. That was what, that was all I wanted. That was my threshold. I needed a way out of secondary school. Um, and I, I just, college was like, the first six months were really, really hard adjusting. I thought about dropping out and then I just felt really at home. Just felt I can make this what, I, I can remove myself from situations if I want to, which is impossible in school. I can sit alone if I want to. I can engage with people if I want to. I can wear what I want. I can be myself. Like, so masking is a huge thing in autism, particularly in women. And uh, I think college really saved me. Masking is uh, basically hiding your autistic traits. But it's this, you don't realise you're doing it. You know, you're putting on a persona. So this is very much why um, autistic women are often, very often late diagnosed because they are really good at masking their true autistic traits in order to fit in. The problem with masking is it's bloody exhausting. Very often that can result in severe depression, anxiety, um, exhaustion, burnout, because the mask comes off when you get home or you're away from other people. The facade is, is down and you're burnt out. It's, it takes an enormous amount of time and energy to keep that facade up and to be constantly thinking, am I making the right amount of eye contact? What's my voice like? Is my voice too loud? Am I laughing too much? Am I talking too much? Am I talking about my own interests too much? This is a constant inner dialogue for me. I can only speak for myself, for me anyway. Am I doing the right thing? And it, that's really tiring. I was not diagnosed. I am now 38. I was diagnosed three years ago. Uh, so all throughout college, I remained undiagnosed. During my undergrad, I came into college to do journalism and randomly went to a psychology talk and thought, oh my God, this is, this is really interesting. So I took psychology and did a degree in psychology. Um, my kind of let's say I don't want to downplay it, but kind of quirkiness difference was uh, kind of embraced by my classmates. Maybe it was because of the topic, like psychology, the subject. They appointed me their class rep. They kind of made me their sort of person, you know, uh, to celebrate, which was lovely. Um, started a PhD, then a research PhD straight after my degree. I was only 21. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> I got through it, but it was too early. Um, I hadn't, didn't take any gap or time out or anything like that. And uh, I just, my PhD was so lonely. It's a lonely experience for a lot of people, but I just crashed really. Um, and the anxiety and depression came to a head and I was quite suicidal during my PhD. I got through my PhD. I, I don't know how I did it. It was extremely hard. I'm still kind of traumatized by the experience and still didn't have a diagnosis. You know, the, the diagnostic route only came a bit later for me. I am now 38. I was diagnosed three years ago. And I remember reading, I think, in the Irish Examiner or one of the newspapers, an article about a woman with autism in Cork. I contacted her. It took me about a year, I think. And I said, look, you know, who's a good person, you know, to do female autism diagnosis. So I went to a, a neuropsychologist in Dublin, very long waiting list, and um, got my diagnosis. 
I was, you know, I took the train up to Dublin and I was anxious and I couldn't sleep the night before and I couldn't sleep the week before. And then I was anxious going back down with my diagnosis. And God, it's, 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 you know, I would advise people to, if you have someone you can trust really, really well and you can confide in, get that support while you're going through the diagnosis. Don't be silly like me and do it on your own or stubborn. That's, it's a good Keneally characteristic. You get to 30 something, your mid 30s, you've lived a lot of your life, hopefully a lot more to go. But there's a lot of backtracking and figuring out. People get very different reactions, such as, ah, sure, we're all a bit on the spectrum. We get that all the time. I get that every second day. Um, Actually, you don't look autistic. Look at you. You're, you have a PhD and you're working full time and you don't fit the little box I have, the little idea in my head about what autism is, which is usually inaccurate. My family were really good. My mum and dad were very good and they showed a real willingness to find out more, even though they had an older son with autism. And even now, my, my poor mum died in 2021 from cancer. That was very, very hard, I suppose, in the the mix of my diagnosis and again, trying to make sense of things as, you know, life hits you with these curveballs and things are put on pause, the whole processing. But uh, my dad is fantastic. He's um, He'll be reading the newspaper and he'll find an article about women with autism and he'll say, Sinead, look at this now, come over here, look at this. is." And he, he's reading the paper and he says, God, that's you. That's 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 your story. So there is really nice affirmation there and understanding. My older brother, who is autistic, knows I'm autistic. Um, he can't really get his head around it though, <laughs> because it, our experiences are very different. I have a twin brother who um, is living abroad. We're extremely close, but we're very very different people, and I haven't told him yet. I realise this is a strange way of publicly declaring that I haven't told somebody. But I, I don't know. I feel maybe it's because we've been physically apart for about eight years and his leaving kind of really devastated me. Um, I found that very hard. Change is very hard to cope with as an autistic person. Major life changes. Very, very hard. I, I tell my students I'm autistic, I've disclosed at work. I get great reactions from students, especially autistic students who feel very validated. We have openly autistic students who have a diagnosis and like much like the general population, there are a lot of students who aren't diagnosed. And you suspect yourself, like I'm not a clinician, but I suspect this person is undiagnosed and maybe could benefit from a diagnosis because they're struggling. But the thing about our autistic students, I've noticed the academic capability is there. That's not an issue. Um, our autistic students are in general, like, you know, they get to college level. Um, they're very good academically. They have no problem with subject matter material. It's all the complexities of everything around that. That's the issue. And it can be anything from the physical environment. Uh, so sitting in a massive lecture theatre with hundreds of other students and basically feeling like you're going to have a panic attack, the sensory issues, going down to Unbeelan, the restaurant and having to, you know, navigate the noise and the crowds. And so there's the whole sensory difficulties of 
dealing with a large campus with a huge student body, um, being in that physical space. Also, many autistic people, myself included, have um, executive function problems or issues. Um, I don't like to talk about autism in terms of deficits, but it is a reality. So executive functioning, you know, refers to things like the ability to organize yourself, um, get prepared. And those kinds of skills are really, really uh, important for autistic people to have. And it's not something that they automatically have. So sometimes there, there may be gaps there. Um, so they need to be able to organize themselves. And I found that a lot of autistic students find it difficult as well to determine what aspect of the material that they're learning is important and what's not. So these academic skills that some people take for granted or some people kind of maybe gain from secondary school, sometimes there's a greater need for that in college and maybe the students don't get that level of support. An autism-friendly campus would look like a friendly campus. Uh, and that's that's the goal. But what we believe will happen and what has happened with universities who have gone through this process is the campus becomes friendlier for everyone, for students with all kinds of um, disabilities and needs and so on. Autism-friendly designation has to be achieved by changing things across the board. So not just the academic environment, but the physical environment too. So right down to, you know, people having places they can retreat to, like pods, hubs for quiet time, you know, different format for giving presentations, different, you know, if, if students want to leave lectures or attend lectures in a different way, um, increase learning supports that will enhance their learning in the way that they can learn best, you know, and direction and so on. Um, so it's across the learning environment, the physical environment, the social environment. So many people are totally misguided about what autism is and what it isn't. I've even had psychology colleagues suggest to me that people with autism lack empathy. I mean, that, uh, that, uh, that blows my mind that someone who's clinically trained would still have that thought process in, in nowadays, but it's true. Certainly uh, what I found with other autistic people as well is that they're some of the warmest, kindest, most deeply feeling people you'd ever meet. Um, in fact, there's, there's even research to suggest that autistic people feel too deeply. It's, it's called the double empathy problem, like that compared to the general population, they actually have an excess of empathy and that it's crippling. It causes intense anxiety uh, because they, they just feel extraordinary empathy with other humans, animals, you know, any situation where somebody is having a tough time, they feel it really keenly. I disclose to my students that I'm autistic and I've had some great feedback from students saying, Sinead, I'm autistic, high five, this is great, thanks. You know, you're, you're showing everyone what autism is and what it isn't. I've had some really upsetting emails as well from students, long emails thanking me for being an advocate, which is really hard when you're autistic and you're struggling yourself as well. Advocacy is very difficult, but also telling me about experiences they have had in college where staff members and people who should know better have been really hurtful 
this this is still the narrative in the educational setting. Like you will, we'll give you the skills to fit into this environment that you don't fit into rather than accepting you the way you are and making the environment friendly for you to be yourself in. Our disability support service is excellent, but we need more. We have mental health nurses now in OTs. We need more. Like that is really urgent because they're amazing people and they do fantastic work, but it's under-resourced. And uh, just for lectures, I think that's the best thing they can do. I'm here. I know you're in my class. Like talk to me if there's anything that's, if there's anything I'm saying that's, you know, bothering you or, you know, if there's anything I can do to support you or help you or direct you to, to the right place, um, I'm here. Depending on my mood, I have lots of favourite songs, but my favourite song is Nina Simone's version of I Think It's Going to Rain Today. The lyrics and the music are totally at odds with each other. It's a bit of a cynical song. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. For me, it speaks to how society is today. Uh, It's beautiful. It kind of really speaks to my heart. Alternative Eye was devised and produced by Orla Higgins. The series has been supported financially by the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Budget of the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies, NUI Galway. Recorded at Flirt FM Studios, NUI Galway, with thanks to Paula Healy, Heather Hinchin Quinn and Cormac Corcoran. Special thanks to NUI Galway Student Success Manager, Jane Ennis, and to all the contributors. The music featured in this episode is I Think It's Going to Rain Today by Nina Simone. Thanks for listening.